we can see that really God has established a model for us in adoption. God has, has modeled what it means to adopt in Scripture because we have been adopted. Hello and welcome to another episode of Law and Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. We're going to do something a little bit different today on the podcast. Last week we started talking about adoption and some of the difficulties that we are seeing here in adoption in Arkansas and really across the country uh, in how adoptions are just being abused. And when we, we look at the history of adoption in the United States, we really see that we've had really the kind of this interesting history with this institution of adoption. Uh, we didn't have adoption laws in the United States until 1851. And even then, in order for an adoption to be legitimate, uh, you either had to go to your state legislature and have a special act passed, which would uh, make that adoption legal, or uh, in some cases, adoptions were perfected by a deed, uh, just like you'd have a deed to real estate. And really, adoption was motivated by a couple of different factors. One was uh, for labor on the western frontier, and so those who are homesteading would, would adopt from inner cities on the east coast and bring them out west or in a society in which ladies did not uh, inherit equally with men, uh, the desire was for a male heir. And that's what motivated adoption, was to have a male heir. Uh, And so we see, really, throughout our entire history, that adoption has been really driven by the adoptive parents. And so even today we look and see where our uh, adoption cases heard, and we see this this vestige, there are these remaining vestiges of this old adoption system, because adoption cases are heard in probate court. It's not heard in a juvenile court, and it's not heard in a family court. It's heard in a probate court where we deal with inheritance issues. And we still see uh, a very adoptive parent-driven system. Here's, here's an example. Uh, the median cost to adopt a Caucasian infant through a private adoption in the United States is $43,000. The cost to adopt an African-American infant through private adoption is half of that. Now, we've got to ask why, and in, in finding those answers, researchers have discovered that this system really uses supply and demand economics. There are more African-American children available for adoption, that's higher supply, and fewer people who are willing to adopt them, that's lower demand. And so adoption pricing is done by supply and demand. So we need to have this, this paradigm shift in how we view adoption. Uh, because if we can pull the demand out of that, uh, then all there remains is the supply that's always going to be there. And we don't have to look at it as a commodity at that point. We look at it in terms of focusing on the welfare of these children. And that's really what this should be about. Uh, and so... We as church leaders, when we are encouraging our congregations to to go adopt or to foster, we need to understand the context in which we're asking them to do that and then help them have a biblical mindset as to what adoption is and what we're going to have them do and what we're asking them to do through Scripture. And uh, so as we do that and as we prepare our congregations, we can see that really God has established a model for us in adoption. God has has modeled what it means to adopt in Scripture because we have been adopted. And so we're going to do something a little different. If you're not driving, 
get your Bible, uh, and let's take a look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. We've got a long passage here, and I know it's usually not good to try and exposit a, a really long passage, but I'm going to take a 30,000-foot view here, and let's see this model that God created. See how God exemplified how to do an adoption. And here's what it says, Romans 8, starting in verse 14. I'm going to be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says this, All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit of the first, as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weaknesses. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purposes. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be called the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? But he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, or anguish, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than victorious through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the first thing let's take a look at here, God's children are the benefactors of His adoption. And really, that's the whole point of what I want us to get across is, is who is the benefactor of God's adoption? 
because that's the model he created for us. And we see that God's children are the benefactors of those adoption. If we go back prior to verse 14, we see Paul talking through uh, this idea that those who live according to the flesh are going to die, those who live according to the Spirit are going to live, and since no one wants to die, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit and to be a child of God? And we see in this passage that the first thing is we receive a Spirit. And we can certainly imply as we read further down that we receive this Holy Spirit uh, the 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 Spirit, this part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, we receive that as it was received at Pentecost, but we also receive a, a different kind of spirit. We receive a spirit of adoption, and this is not a spirit of slavery, okay? This is not adoption so that we have labor on the western frontier. This is not a spirit of fear or timidity. This is a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out for our daddy. You know, when my kids want something from me, they yell across the house. I'll say, hey, dad, can we do this? Or, hey, dad, can we go play catch? Or, hey, dad, can we go outside? But when they're hurting and they're crying, they yell out, daddy. All right. And so we can see that same thing. Notice the benefactor here, though. Our spirit of adoption. We are heirs. We cry, Daddy. We receive the Spirit. All of those point to the centrality of the redeemed in God's model of adoption. But when we're hurting and we're crying and we're yelling out, Daddy, we see that those who suffer are the benefactors of God's adoption. We keep reading in this, and it it tells us that we must suffer with Christ in order to be glorified with Christ. So we have to suffer with Christ, and we are adopted out of that suffering. You know, when I was growing up, my grandfather took my brother and I to the the video rental store uh, with a where we could go get a VHS. You can see how long ago that was. Um, but he took us there, and we were going to rent a movie, and uh, my brother was kind of looking at several different movies. There was one, though, that I was really honed in on. I want this movie. And my grandfather said no. I was like, man, I really want to rent this movie. He said no. And it got to the point where we couldn't agree because that's the movie I wanted. And my grandfather said, you know what? You guys are too, uh, you, you guys are too difficult to deal with. We're not going to get anything. And we left. And as a result, my brother and I suffered together. Um, the, the consequences of my being so stubborn. And the same thing applies here. We must suffer with Christ. Now, Christ obviously didn't sin like I was sinning there, but uh, ultimately we must suffer with Christ in order to be glorified with Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said, take up your cross daily and follow me. That's not put it around your neck. That's an instrument of torture, that we're going to suffer with him. Now, if we're to change our view of adoption, we've got to stop focusing on our suffering as adoptive parents or, or hopeful adoptive parents. Now, I don't want to minimize the fact that adoptive parents often struggle with fertility uh, and that they long for a child. And I understand that. You can see that in Hannah's heart uh, in 1 Samuel. Uh, I, I understand. But if we're to change our view of adoption, we've got to change that to where our focus is on the suffering of a child. Because God's focus is on our suffering. We see that here. We talk about we suffer with him so that we can be glorified with him. Paul says, I consider these sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And so we suffer, all right? But our suffering with Christ can't be compared to the glory of Christ and the glory that we'll experience when we are finally redeemed and, and are not redeemed, but when we're finally restored all right, and, and it says here we're talking about creation. That thing which God said was good when he created it, that creation longs for the revealing of God's children. Creation longs for us. 
God made that creation futile in hopes that it too would be redeemed by God's children. Creation is enslaved to a corrupt world, and God hopes that uh, we will redeem it such that it has this freedom of the glory that we have as God's children. So the question becomes, how do we redeem creation? How can we do this for a child? Can we provide such a loving home that the sufferings of that child will pale in comparison to the glory of being your child? Now, that's a high bar, uh, but God always sets high bars. He's perfect. And so we know we're going to mess up. We know we're going to have difficulties in that, and we're going to struggle, and we're going to have to ask our children for forgiveness. But ultimately, this child who's suffered at the hands of those who are supposed to love him or love her, we as adoptive parents have to provide a home that makes those sufferings just disappear, that are just pale in comparison to the joy they experience in our home. And that's hard. All right. Now, here we see an inaugurated eschatology of sorts. We, we have received the spirit of adoption, but we eagerly wait for our adoption, the, the, the restoration that's to come. And so it's already adopted, but not yet. And it seems a little weird, but even in law, uh, in, in regular adoptions, that's certainly the case in some, in some states. And in my home state here, we, we have what we call an interlocutory decree of adoption. You've got to wait six months before your adoption is actually finalized. And so you're adopted, but you're not. Um, and that's the same concept that we've got here, this, this inaugurated eschatology. So we're focusing on the, the suffering of a child, all right? We've shifted our paradigm to, to focus on that child's suffering because God focused on our suffering and, and adopted us out of that. And then we move on, and we realize that those who hope are the benefactors of God's adoption. You know, there are kids out there right now hoping for a forever family. There are kids out there right now hoping for somebody to adopt them. And in hoping for God's adoption, we've been saved. So we see this comparison in our own longing for adoption, our own longing to be saved, our own hope in the fact that, and our trust in the fact that Jesus died for our sins, was raised again for the third day, and we trust in Him for our salvation. That same type of hope is what these kids hope for in their own adoption. So those who hope are the benefactors of God's adoption. Who is hoping right now for people in your church to adopt them? And then we, we see here that if we're to be adopted, we must persevere. Can you imagine how many times these kids have, have had to persevere through something? Not only these sufferings that we've talked about, but had to persevere longing for someone to adopt them. They've been bounced around from home to home, and they just want someone to love them. And so they hope for that. And we hope for our salvation, they hope for their adoption, and we see a lot of parallels there. We move on, and we see that those whom God prays for are the benefactors of God's adoption. And that seems a little weird, but that's what Scripture says here. And really what we can equate this to is, look, kids sometimes just don't know what they need. They don't know what to ask for. And so they cry out, Abba, they cry out, Father, Daddy, and they don't know what to ask for. But you know what? As adults, we know what to ask for on their behalf. We know how to pray for them. At least, hopefully, we should. And so we're the same way. We don't know how to pray, but the Spirit helps us through our weaknesses, through our incapacity, through our helplessness. Just like those kids are weak and incapacitated and often helpless. God prays for us. The Spirit prays for us. Do we pray for our children? Our Daddy searches our hearts. He wants to know us. And He does know us because not only does He search, his, search our hearts, but the Spirit intercedes for us. 
The Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. And then we go on, those who love God are called according to His purposes. And so we certainly see God acting here, and we don't want to minimize uh, Christ in this. We certainly don't want to put uh, humans at the center of the story, but ultimately God wants to know us. God called us, and as a result, we love Him. God prays for us. The Spirit prays for us. We see Jesus later on praying for us. There's a centrality in this passage to those being adopted. And then finally, we have to ask, are we interceding for the suffering of children more than we're interceding for ourselves to have a child? If we're going to change that paradigm and make it to where it's not about our demand and our need and our desire to have a child, if we're going to make it about that child and follow God's model and, and, and really focus on that child more than we focus on ourselves, he gave up his own son. All right, And we see that as we move on. Those whom he loves are the benefactors of his adoption, and he loves us like crazy. He says, he says that uh, all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. How do we know that? Well, those he foreknew, those of us he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And man, he loved his son. He loves his son, and he wants us to be like him. And, and the son loves the father. And... We can love God because God loved us first. And so those he foreknew, he wants us to be in the image of his son because his son loves the father. And then those who he, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, he called. And remember, those who are called love God. When you look there in, in verse 28, we know that all things work for the good of those who love God, colon. So we're going to describe those who love God those who are called according to his purposes. And so those he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, he called them. And if he called them, then they love him. They love God. And then those he called, he also justified. There was a legal action there. You know, in the criminal world, we hear that all the time in terms of criminal defense, that, that okay, were you, you, you killed that person, but were you justified in doing so because of self-defense? Or you committed this crime, but were you justified in doing so because it was the lesser of two evils? You were going to have to commit a crime either way you were, went in that particular situation. So are you justified in doing that? And in the same way, there is a legal action when we come to Christ, we are justified. We are declared not guilty despite of our, uh, our sin. Despite our sin, we're declared not guilty. And so here we see another legal act. We are adopted. No one can claim us anymore. Only God. And then those he, he justifies, he also glorifies them. All right, And we see that point where these past afflictions are eclipsed by, by the glory of God. And we're going to talk about that more in just a second. We move on. Those whom he loves, he also protects. Look there in verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? So he protects us. He, he is for us. No one can stand against us. He is for us. Those whom he loves, he also provides for. He gave us his son. He loved us so much, he gave up his own son. That's what it says there in verse 32. He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? So he provides. All right. Are we going to provide? Are we going to protect these children? Are we going to provide for these children? Those whom he loves, he also adopts. Again, justification, that legal act. No one can condemn us anymore. That's verse 33. Who can bring an accusation against God, God's elect? 
God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? No one can condemn us anymore. Same thing with adoption. No one can claim us anymore but he who adopted us, God the Father. We move on. Those whom he loves, he loves fiercely. Nothing can separate us. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, starting in verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Nothing can separate us. Difficulties cannot separate us from the love of God. And we know that there are difficulties in life. There are struggles and stresses and you know, oppressions, and sometimes we're hungry, we don't feel like our needs are met, and we're vulnerable, and we're in danger, and sometimes we're subject to violence. Listen, these kids have all been there. These kids who need to be adopted, who need to be loved, who need to be protected and provided for, they've all been there. They've had struggles. They've had stresses. They've been oppressed. They've been hungry. They've been vulnerable. They've been the subject of violence. They've been raped. They've been abused. They've been beaten. Those kids have been there. But If we're going to follow God's model of adoption, here's the question. Will that child's past stop you from loving that child? Will their past struggles, will their past stresses, will their past abuse, their past neglect, is it going to stop you from loving that child? Because it didn't stop God from loving us. And we go on in verse 37. No, in all of these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. Those who love these kids, if they meet and and rise up to God's model of adoption, will help those kids conquer their past and help them conquer their future. We're more than conquerors. We're more than victorious because God loved us. All right, And again, we're the central focus there. He loved us, so we are the conquerors. We are more than victorious. In all of those things, in our struggles, in our stresses, in our oppressions, in our hunger, our vulnerability, our danger, we are more than victorious in those things because God loves us. And the question is, will that child whom you adopt or whom someone in your congregation adopts, will they help them conquer? Will, will you help that child conquer their past and conquer their future? Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Look there in verse 38. For I am persuaded that not even death or life Angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And if we're going to meet God's model of adoption, is there anything that could separate you from loving that child? So we've seen here what motivates God. We've seen how he adopted us. We've seen the results of that adoption. We've seen how those who who are God's children are adopted. And that makes sense. But God adopts those who suffer. He has a compassion. He adopts those who hope for adoption. He prays for those children. He intercedes for his children. And he loves them. He focused on us. He gave up his son for us. Will we not focus on the child more than we focus on ourselves? Will we focus on caring for that child more than we focus on our longings and our desires to be a parent? Because here's what's happening. 
when we focus so much on our desire and our longing to be a parent, we will do anything to be a parent. We'll pay anything to be a parent. We'll be duped. We'll have the wool pulled over our eyes. And there are people right now who just want to follow God who are being duped into being an unwill, unwitting accomplice to human trafficking. They don't know that the money they're spending is basically buying a child and lining the pockets of some adoption practitioners. It's not everybody, but it happens. But if we focus on the child, I'm going to take care of that child. Then things start to change. It's no longer a demand for a child and a supply for a child, thereby a price for a child. Now there's just a child who needs our help. So as you go to your congregations and and you talk to them about adoption, will you help them focus on the child? Will you help them focus on that child because God focused on us? The motivation for God adopting us was not his own need. It was for us. It was his compassion for us. It was his love for us. Will you help your congregation and those who would adopt in your congregation Hear that same message. Josh, tell us what you've got going on over at Church General Council. Well, let me tell you a little bit about our hotline suite. You know, a lot of pastors really don't need an attorney on retainer for their church. They really just need somebody that they can call for a quick answer to a question. Uh, And so one of the services that we offer is a hotline. And so for just $8.49 a month, you'll have access by email or phone to our church lawyer hotline, and you can get quick answers to your questions. You're also going to get access uh, to all of the webinars that we do. Normally, the cost to attend that webinar is $14.99. So if you attend seven of the 40 or so webinars that we're going to do in a year, this is really going to pay for itself. Uh, Our webinars are fully interactive, so you really don't want to miss out on those things. And then for $24.99 a month, uh, you can get all of those things plus some free document review and access to our sample policy manual online. And then if you go one step further for $39.99 a month, you'll get all that plus some custom document drafting and expanded access hours to a church attorney. So each level that you move up also moves you up on our priority lists in terms of getting you taken care of. So you want to go check that out at churchgeneralcouncil.com. That's our hotline suite. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Law & Church. Make sure you check out lawandchurch.com for all the resources, show notes, links. Everything is available for you there. And if you'd like to connect with us, go over to facebook.com, search the Church Esquire Club. There's all sorts of opportunities for you there. And thanks so much for joining us. We will see you next week.